We continue a shear in Navi, in Jewish history. The last topic we had was Shlomo HaMelech taking over the kingdom and fulfilling the command, the last wishes of his father, David HaMelech. We said too that Shimi ben Gera was put to death by Shlomo HaMelech. It's important to note this was a very unusual case because Shimi ben Gera was Shlomo HaMelech's rabbi. He was already previously had turned evil, had caused so much trouble for King David, and now King Solomon could not forget what had been done for him by Shimi ben Gera. In fact, the Gemara says that a very delicate statement. Shlomach married the daughter of Paro, converted her, married her, but because she was the daughter of Paro, she was not a good influence. This, of course, again, is a very delicate and dangerous statement because when we say this, we must remind you very carefully what the Gemara says about any person who dares to say that Shlomo HaMelech committed any sins. Abedazar says that the wisest person in the world, according to the Torah, was Shlomo HaMelech, and a person is wise only when he avoids sin. There's only a fool that enters into sin. So being the wisest person in the world meant that Shlomach, in his chachma, his wisdom, saw to it that under no conditions would he become victim to the Yetzirah, victim to any kind of sin. And therefore, these words are sort of coded. They are in code to teach others a lesson. This could have been the person must learn to avoid the possibility of sin. The is here, in this case, the marriage did not take place with the daughter of Paro as long as Shimi ben Gera was alive. So we see the good influence that a rabbi could have over a student, and therefore, the Gemara says, this teaches us that a person should always strive to live in the same vicinity as his rabbi. We see this fulfilled in the case of Ezra HaSofer. Ezra was so holy that he was the one that built the second Beis HaMikdash. He brought about the return to Eretz Yisrael, the Jews from Babel, <clears throat> out of exile, in the building of the second base of Mikdash, and yet he himself remained in Babel, despite the fact that he was the end of the Goas, the end of the exile, and he, the leader of the Jews, remained in Babel in Goas, did not go to Eretz Yisrael. The Yomar says, why? Because his rabbi, Baruch ben was too old to move, and he would not desert his rabbi. He stayed with him until his rabbi passed away, and then he first went up to Eretz Yisrael. Now, the Yomar says that Torah tells us that Shlomo built the base of Mikdash according to the assurance that Hashem had given to David Melech. It took him seven years to build the base of Mikdash first, and then he spent 13 years building his own palace and the wall around Yerushalayim. Interesting to note that Shlomo Melech was exactly 12 years old when he ascended the throne. He was 12 years old, and how old was his mother at that time, Bathsheba? When she saw her son ascend the throne, Bathsheba was 20 years old, because she was 8 years old, 8 years and a few months, when Shlomo Melech was born. This is how quickly people matured in those days. You know, it tells us that the mental capacity of the tzaddikim then was so far advanced over and beyond that which we have in later generations, that we could never say 
we today are wiser than them. The Benazar stresses this point too. The Benazar says we find today that there are scientists and there are inventors who come up with innovations, new inventions, new ideas, new products being brought out to life, manufactured. All these items which seem to show progress are as nothing compared to the greatness of mind of the people who lived in previous generations. But the ones today can bring out these new ideas, these, this advanced technology, not because they are smarter at all, only because there is a date set on each one of these new inventions, these new discoveries in heaven. Hashem releases these items to earth as that date comes. No credit can be given to any human intellectual today for having actually discovered or invented anything. Hashem made this simple mortal a messenger to reveal this to the world. He placed into his mind the idea, this novel idea about this invention. But the person himself who invented this, who brought this to light, is definitely nowhere as smart, as wise, as learned as those in previous generations. So the Yomar says now that the Navi, we're commanding the Yomar and the Navi, that as King Solomon took over the throne, he completed his first chores, but it was still the very beginning of his kingdom, he went to sleep and he had a dream. In his dream, Hashem spoke to him. Hashem told him that he's going to fulfill his promise that he gave to David HaMelech. He will be with Shlomo HaMelech throughout, will bring him success in all that he does. He should know only that he must fulfill his duty as a Jew, as a Jewish king, in spreading the knowledge of Torah and the fulfillment of its mitzvahs. And then Hashem said to Shlomo HaMelech, if you have a request to make, you may make it known. If you have anything to ask for, in your present capacity as king of the Jews, you may now ask it of me, Hashem said You must keep in mind again that Hashem was speaking to what we would classify today as a 12-year-old child. King Solomon at that time, 12 years old, already ruling over the Jews, sitting on the throne, was being presented with a problem, his first problem. You have one wish to make. What would you desire? And this, he was given a choice to power, wealth, wisdom. Shlomo said to Hashem, what I need most now is the wisdom to deal with a people who are so advanced mentally. Jewish people who are governed and guided by the Torah are naturally very deep, of deep mind, deep mentality, and to be able to deal with them in a manner that would meet our justice to all is very difficult. It's very difficult to satisfy a group satisfy our whole people because we find that there's very little peace among Jews speaking in a controversial sense there is no physical battle but there are debates controversies because the each one has his own sharp mind and one bends one way one the other way but it's most difficult too we can understand from the point of view of the differences why the Torah says everything comes in threes you have one the first is the midah the characteristic of kindness chesed Two Yeremi, the characteristic of Gemura, of power, of fear, of judgment, harshness. These two are, for example, the two fathers of the Jews. Abraham, Ishach Hesed, father of kindness. Yitzhak, Pachad Yitzhak. Yitzhak stood for power, for Gemura, for awe. Yaakov Avinu, the Bechir Sheba the chosen father of the Jews, 
possessed the qualities of both. And therefore, he is called the third quality, third mida of Tiferes. Tiferes or Emes. Titan Emes, the Yaakov, because Emes combines both. So in all triangles, you have the right, the left, and the center. The right is the Chesed, the kindness. The left is the Din, the harshness. Center is the combination of both. The sphere of Sasan. Now, in this case, we have to go a step further. The Zarekadosh says that the first days of the week to correspond to this. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday are identical in this respect to. Sunday you have the day of Chesed. That's when Gan Eden was created. Monday, the day of Din, Harshness, Gehenna was created. Tuesday is the day of beauty. Because then you have twice Kitov, that which was missing on Monday. There's no Kitov on Monday. Does not say the word good on Monday. You have it written twice on Tuesday because Tuesday combines both. Yaakov, Avina combined Abraham and Yitzhak. That's why he had two names. Yaakov is a, is a word of harshness. Ekev, Ekev means a soul, a bottom. Ekev also means the fool. That's harshness and din. Yisrael, sheer kale, is chesed, kindness. We have these two to correspond to the combination of Abraham and Yitzhak. Now imagine then, the Gemara says, how difficult it is for a person to be a judge, a dayon, in any court case. If you have two Jews arguing a case, one has a nature of chesed of kindness, the second has a nature of judgment. These two are very difficult to meet on common grounds. You have to have a, a very wise person, a wise judge, a wise mind, to make these two compatible, to have these meet, to meet and match up. This is why you take the holiest rabbis of the Gemara. You have there two, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. Beis Hino and Beis Shammai. Beis Hino is the chesed, the kindness. Beis Shammai is the harshness. You find that throughout Shas, there is no peace. There's no meeting of the minds between them. There are con constant debates on Hebrew law. These are very holy debates. These are called Achlapas Hashem Shemayim. Debate for the sake of heaven, to bring out the laws of the Torah. But throughout you find these debates between these two types. All the rabbis that you are fit into one or two categories, and that's why there's always this debate. You have to have the third party, the Chachamim, to come in between and to decide to determine the din of law. And this was a statement of Shlomo HaMalach. I have to be the king, not just king, but ruler, judge over so great a people, such a wise element. How can I, an ordinary mortal, be able to bring peace between these Jews that come before me in judgment? Therefore, I ask more than anything else, I'm willing to forego such items of power or physical wealth, material wealth. I'd rather have the wisdom to deal with these people in a manner of justice. Hashem replied, because you have chosen something spiritual, therefore your request is granted. But in addition, you're going to also receive the other two items that you rejected. You're going to have more wealth than any king ever dreamt of. You're going to have more power, too, than any king in history, past, present, or future, till your counterpart, which means Mashiach. And we see, the Gemara says, that this promise of Hashem was granted instantly, because the moment that King Solomon awoke, he found himself filled with this heavenly wisdom. The moment he awoke, he could hear the birds singing under his palace window. He could hear the, the noise of the animals. He found that these were actual languages. He could understand the languages of the birds, the animals. More importantly, he could understand the language of the trees, the wind rustling through the leaves or blades of grass. To us, it makes no sense. It's just sounds. But they are actually words. 
It actually is a language, the Gemara says, a sukkah, sichas tekulam, language of the trees. Of course, this wisdom, by the way, the Gemara says, was passed on later generations too. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, for example, was able to understand this all these languages, including the language of the Shadim, the spirits, which King Solomon understood. Let me find out in which later generations there were others too who were zochet to these powers. The Arizal understood all these languages too, very simply, as Rebbe tells or testifies, the Baal Shem Tov But first case we find recorded was that of Shlomo HaMelech, who acquired this wisdom literally overnight. And so he was aware of the fact that he could understand all these languages. He was filled with imbued, endowed with so great a wisdom. And not only did he have the knowledge of these languages, but he was given the power to rule over them, because he could now issue an order to the semi-heavenly realm, to the shadim, the spirits, the spiritual world, who were subservient to him. So granted this, he did not take advantage of this power to rule unfairly. Rather, he used this with humility. His first act was to assemble all the Jews, come to the base of Mikdash, and there to offer a tefillah to Hashem, a prayer of thanks, and a prayer for the future. This tefillah was, let this base of Mikdash be a place where Jews may come to present their problems, their karbonos, offerings to Hashem. A karbonos sacrifice of thanks that's understood. Person who receives a heavenly favor. More important, the person who has found himself in trouble, either one of his own doing, or which he's not to blame. The person committed sins, and his conscience is gnawing away at him. He may come into the base of Mikdash, offer a covenant of chatos, a covenant of peace before Hashem, to confess his sin, and to have Hashem receive him back in his good graces person who finds himself with financial difficulty, physical difficulties, which are naturally due to some wrongs that he did. They're not due to mitzvahs he did. But as he may come to the base of Mikdash and the spell of Hashem to erase any wrongs that he has done and thereby remove his suffering. If the Jews go out to battle, they find that they are partially defeated. And they come to the base of Mikdash and there to confess their sins, to pray for help before Hashem, and Hashem will accept them. If there is a disease, a plague, a drought, a famine, no rain, the Jews may come to the base of Mikdash, and the Tfilos will be answered. This shall apply to both a Rabbim, the whole Jewish nation as a group, and to every single Yochid. This Tfilos, of course, meant to teach us that this is not only for when the base of Mikdash stood. This includes also after the Chodim base of Mikdash, and a Jew today, May daven to Hashem wherever he is, and the tefillah will enter through the base of Mikdash. Our tefillahs today do not rise vertically. Tefillahs not go straight up to heaven. It travels horizontally to the base of Mikdash, and then from there it goes up vertically because that's the Shah Hashemayim, the gates to heaven. So at all times, King Solomon taught us that we too, today, we have any of these problems, we should turn to Hashem and our regular tefillahs are much more important. Any Jew who has a personal problem, Abenazel teaches us that the greatest privilege, greatest zechus, the greatest blessing that a Jew is given by Hashem is the permission to enter into the throne room of Hashem at will, 
at any time at all and speak to Hashem without a previous appointment. Anytime a person can perform the act of his prejudice, you want an audience with Hashem. You have a problem, you feel very badly about it, you need help of any kind at all. Hashem is always ready. This is instant prayer and instant attention. You go into a private room, any place where you can commune, discuss your problem with Hashem. Your best and closest friend could never show a fraction of the compassion, of the pity, kindness, and consideration that Hashem will show to a Jew who sincerely comes before Hashem in this hispitidus and requests, prays, implores, beseeches Hashem for his assistance. This assistance is guaranteed to be forthcoming. Because any other type of solution to a problem always carries a question mark with it. Will it be of any benefit? Will it solve the problem? Or at times, will it make the problem worse? A person has a slight illness, he goes to a doctor, he comes out suffering much more because he gave him medicines that gave him side effects that did much more harm than good. A person has other types of problems, he goes for advice to friends, many times this advice backfires. But if he goes to Hashem, he is certain to receive the true solution to his problem, the permanent solution. If we know Hashem, Hashem cures we will be cured permanently. Hashem's cure always works. We don't have to find special medical ingredients. They're all there in the power of Hashem to bestow upon us if we just ask for it properly. This is the Kayach, the power of Tfilah and Hispanidus, and this was what Shalom taught to the Jews then when he presented them before Hashem in the base of Mekdash. To go back to the dream that Shalom had when he was given this wisdom, immediately afterwards, his first case came before him publicly, where everyone could see, testified to the unique wisdom of Shalom Now, as we said, we repeat once more, Benazah says that the true wisdom is only, there's only one kind of wisdom, a wisdom in knowing how to select between good and bad, a wisdom in knowing how to defeat one's own evil inclination, to defeat the attack by the Yitzhahara, by the Satan. One who is a fool will fall victim to this attack. To put it in a, a harsh manner, the mushal that the Zerai Kodesh gives. Very harsh to be found, of course, and it fits very well for this generation. The Zayde Kodesh says that the Satan, Satan's greatest weapon, is to inject into a man a desire for illicit relations with women. And so the Satan, as a marshal, comes before this fool in the form of a Zona, an illicit woman. And this fool sees this Zona is affected by her, desires her, and begins to perform an act of sin. The Zona, that is the Satan, gives this person a potion, a drink, in which he falls asleep. The Zona then strips herself of his false garments, rises up to heaven as the Satan, before the Yitzharanadi Satan, comes before Hashem and presents a claim, proof of sin on the part of one of the Satan's victims, and demands the right to eke retribution, to mete out a punishment as the third form of the Satan, which is the Malachamah, is the angel of death. This permission is granted. The angel of death descends once more to earth, 
comes before this fool who now slowly awakens and moves towards this mate, this what he thought was the Zona, and finds himself confronted by this fiery apparition. The Malachamabas now, formerly this Zona, and the fool finds out what is too late, what he had fallen into, how he had been tricked by sin to something which was his own self-destruction. However, Zerikodesh says, those who are wise, when this Satan comes before them in any form, to tempt them, they slay this Satan, this son is slain by them, as King David said, I had the Satan in my heart, and now there is a hollow, means a corpse. In my heart there now lies a corpse. This Yitzhar is now a corpse within me because I have slain him. He cannot trick me, he cannot defeat me. I have defeated him, and I have slain him. This is the greatest test, and for this you have to have a true wisdom. This was the wisdom of Shlomo HaMalach. And that is why, again we state, very emphatically, the words of the Gemara, especially the words of the Benazel, that anybody who dares, who dares to emit the words that Shlomo HaMalach committed sins with women, that person will have to stand judgment for those words, for contaminating his tongue by daring to speak against the chosen one of Hashem, the king of the Jews, where the Torah itself testifies was the wisest of all men. Wise is he who can defeat the Satan. And Israel says that when the Torah states that he took to himself 1,000 wives, 300 wives, and 700 concubines, Israel says, do not be fooled, and do not be a fool. Every number counts. If you have an eye, you can see that this number 300 and 700 represent the ten spheros, the three upper ones, the seven lower ones. He took these, as the Gemara says simply, to convert them. The Gemara says in Shabbos, he never married these thousand. He took them to convert them, and because he converted them, therefore it's as though he married them. He created new people out of them. Meaning that he took the Koch of Tumor, the spheros of Tumor, Kisana they purified these in his in his heavenly wisdom. We do not need to defend the actions of Shalom. We only to stress the fact that at least we should not be taken in by those fools who dare to speak against such great tzaddikim, the leading tzaddikim in existence. Now, as we said, the Torah tells us the example of Shalom's first trial of wisdom. Next morning, two women appeared before Shalom in judgment. The story that has become universally famous. It is so well known that this story is printed in all children's pamphlets. In all Tabatara's or Yeshiva's, the story is the first one taught about the two women who came to Shlomalach on trial in reference to their infants. Imar says these tells us a story in a much clearer light. These two women came, one of them spoke and said that she had given birth to a child, an infant, and three days later, her roommate, the second woman, gave birth. There was a difference of three days' age between the two infants. And therefore, there was no possibility of mistaking the identity of the two, especially by its own mother. On the third day, when the second woman gave birth, this was still the first woman speaking, said that the at night, the woman who her own pressure crushed her child, 
and the child passed away. Or during the night, she picked up her dead child and exchanged children with this first woman's live one. In the morning, the first one said she woke up, recognized this exchange, and demanded the return of her own live child. The second woman denied this exchange, claimed that it was her child, and so they both came to to decide who was the true mother of the live child. There was a very large audience at the time. This trial took place in a base hamedrish of Shlomo HaMalach. Right there we have a key to it already. It means that he was not just the king, but also the Rosh Yeshiva. The head of the Yeshiva, he had classes in which he taught Torah, and this was a case of a din Torah, a trial, judgment, where the law of the Torah had to be clarified, which to determine the righteousness, the one that was telling the truth, and the one that wasn't. And so, as judge, he summed up the case. The case, he said, is that this woman says, mine is the live one. The dead one belongs to the other woman. The second one says also, mine is the live one. The dead belongs to the other one. Now, since we have a suffix hashakul, an equal doubt for both sides, it is only fair. In Gemara law, we have a, a din that anything which is mutal the suffix, which is placed in doubt, hokin, we divide it. We have a case of two people arguing about $100, and both offer the same type of arguments. Then, if this is in doubt, the din is hokin, each one receives $50. Children who learn the Gemara know this simple basic law. Of course, there are other cases. We're not going into details about Chazaka and Amatz Mechanei Lavaraya and so on. We have this thing stated by one of the top Tamidah Ramea. One of the by the way, is buried with Ramea Balnes in very simplest. Now, so he says, we'll take that case as is, divide this item that's in doubt. Which item is it? The claim of both of them is for this one life child. So he says, bring me a sword and we'll cut this child in half, each one to receive half of a child. Now, this sounds very strange, because could they really believe that he would do something like this? No matter how great the debate was, this is still a live child. Would any person, let alone so wise a king, literally take a child and kill it? Before you could divide it, you have to first take the life of this child. So how could they both believe this was serious. He really meant that he was going to kill his child. Have the child cut in half. Secondly, note the wording. The one woman said, one spoke up and said, I cannot bear to see my child being killed. I would rather lose my child, let the other woman have it. Let her keep the child, and it's worth it to me to see that my child remains alive. It's a big sacrifice, the life of my child means more than my possessing it. This was a statement of one woman. The second woman said, it's not necessary to give the child to me. The best thing is, the king says, justify the child so that neither one of us will have this child. Gamli, gamloch, lo. Neither I nor you will have this child. And this, by the way, is one of the rare times it's brought to the Torah where you have five words in succession in the Torah Five words, each word consisting of two letters. Gam, li, gam, loch, lo, yiyah. Rabbi Messenger goes into a deep explanation about this, the reason why five words is associated with the other four, 
separate topic in itself. To get back to the point here, King Solomon's answer was that since this woman showed, the first one showed such kindness, feeling for the child, therefore, he said, she has shown us that we're the true mother, more than the other one who said, kill the child, and that's why we shall now give the child to the first woman. The Torah says that they all saw the wisdom of King Solomon, his great wisdom, the child was given to the right mother. And the Torah says that this sounds too elementary, very difficult to understand the statement. How do we see the wisdom of King Solomon in this story? There are two things which seem to disprove it. First place, if you have, let's say, any one of us here, and let's admit that we are not that wise, or far from that, that degree of wisdom, we'd have a case before us. The woman would say, would be crying and say, spare my child, give it to the other one. The other one would say very coldly, no, slice that in half, right through the center, half Divide it equally because none of us are supposed to have it. Which one would we say is a true mother? Be honest about it. It doesn't take that much wisdom. Secondly, so this would prove then that we know the mother is. It's one question. The other hand, the Gemara says a second question. You have, it is very possible to have two women, and one is a very good actress. One can speak eloquently. Second one is not endowed with the power of speech. If she'd have to present her case, she'd be the most uh, righteous person in the world and the purest. Yet, if she tried to present her case in her own words, she'd lose the case no matter what it was, because she hasn't got the gift of speech. That's why you need a good lawyer called Hamalitza. So, in this case, then, what was so difficult with one woman, a false one, getting up and putting on an eloquent plea? with the deep emotion, saying, this is my child, but it's, it's immaterial. I wanted to make the grand sacrifice to give my child away. I cannot live with the thought of, that's like a carrying away. This is, the, this is a type of an act that could really bring tears to an audience, that could convince the coldest heart that this is the true mother. The second woman who sees herself being so belittled loses her mind and says, never mind, I can't take it. Get the ch get rid of the child, get rid of this woman. I, I can't see anymore. He says, this is very possible that could have happened. What proof did King Solomon have that this woman was telling the truth? How could he detect that she was not lying, that she was not putting on an act? And then, too, wasn't that something to be suspected by the people present there? If he would say, this is the right one, how did the people themselves applaud this decision and know that this was true? How could they tell this was true? How could they have sworn to it that the child was given to the right mother? The Gemara says, therefore, the true answer is, the one only true answer is the fact of what actually happened. What happened was, at that time, that when the signs were presented, all was over, a voice was heard in the courtroom, in the Besamedrish. This is one of the times that Tophia Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of Hashem, appeared and shone in the presence of Shlomo HaMalach and the Jews then, and the voice of Hashem came forward and said, this is the mother. Uh, the Jews knew it was not their credit that brought the voice of Hashem there, it was not their Zechus, it was the Zechus of Shlomo HaMalach, and that if the voice came forward now, they can be sure that the Shekhinah would always be with Shlomo HaMalach to direct him and to guide him 
in bringing about the truth in all cases. He would conduct every trial with true justice. This was the proof of true case of the in determining and solving this case between the two women. Now the Yomar says that in addition, to go a step further, when Shlom built his palace, he also built a special throne. And this throne had six steps leading up to the throne itself. He would sit at the throne, on the throne, and on both sides of the throne, on these steps were lions. These lions were figurines. And yet, these figures came to life when a case came before him. These were inanimate figures. They came to life when two people came before him and they both presented their case, each one claiming he was right, he was justified. And then these lions rose up and roared and these injected a fear into the heart of the guilty party. They confessed. In fact, there's a story Nachman Chagrizal brings about a case where there were a lot of great rabbis assembled in a meeting once. Rabbeinazar was there too. And they were discussing an item about Eliyahu Anavi, where the Gemara says that Eliyahu would come eventually and he will solve all problems. All those that are not, have not been resolved in the time of the Gemara, take unsolved problems, he will solve. The question was, how can he solve this problem alone? He will testify as to who is right and who is wrong. He is still only one witness, and under no conditions will the laws of the Torah be changed. The Torah says, I'll be Shnayim Eden. Only two witnesses can determine a case, can determine the truth. Not less, not even Moshe Rabbein himself can be qualified to testify alone. You must have two witnesses. So how can Elianavi resolve this problem? How can he testify and thereby we will know who is the right one and who is telling a lie? These rabbis were perplexed. They could not get to could not solve this problem until they turned to Rabbeinazal. They begged him to answer this, and Rabbeinazal did. And with this answer, we find the Chidozal answers the question about Shlomoch too. Because the Gemara says that Kohelis, Shlomoch, wanted to act as a single judge, accepting one witness. And a voice came from heaven and said, you cannot. And yet we see by the case of these case of sitting on his throne, he did act as a, sing, a single judge to determine these cases. Single judge, meaning he himself was the one deciding factor. Where were the two witnesses? Abedazal answered both with one answer. The answer is that it is true that never can one witness be effective enough to draw money through a claim. At most, he can evoke a the requirement for a shvua, make the person swear. But to actually extract money from a person on trial is impossible except through two witnesses. But there is another statement which says that if a person confesses, we require no further witnesses. A man says, I confess, I was wrong, I do owe this party the money that's claimed, and the case is over. The confession of one of the persons on trial is the equivalent of 100 witnesses. Same as two or 100 witnesses. Now in this case, when the enemy comes, he will inject into the guilty party a fear that will make him confess. His own confession will be the equivalent of two witnesses testifying. Same as in the case of Shlomo HaMelech, who had these lions by his side, who would 
inject this fear, this awe into the heart of the guilty person who was lying, bringing out a confession from him, and that's how he'd be able to resolve the problem without the assistance of two witnesses, just by his own statement alone determining who was guilty and who was right. This was the chaos, the power of the throne of Shlomoth. That's why the throne is so famous. Of course, we use the term Sheish Malos, six steps to the throne. These six steps stand for the number six, always stands for Tzaddik. The throne stands for the Mishchas Kedish, which is the Malchus, the Yisod Tzaddik, which leads to the Malchus. Now, the last point to bring out here is that King Solomon was the last king of the Jews to rule over the entire 12 tribes of Israel. When he was nostalgic and he passed away, he passed away at the age of 52, that means he ruled for 40 years. The age of 52, which seems like a very young age, and of course it was very young, but it was a very filled, rich life. There were no wars in the time of King Solomon. There was no king who ruled as richly as he did, as far spread, because he ruled over the entire globe, the entire universe, including the semi-heavenly world, all living beings on earth, all creatures on earth, until the spiritual world. Yet after he passed away, everything changed. A new type of life, new type of government took over, and that's a separate chapter in itself, a division of the 12 tribes of Israel to the 2 and the 10. This is a long discussion, and this will be a rich topic to begin with when we start, when we renew the classes of Mitzvah after the summer. Since this is the last Navi of Shir, we'd like to wish everyone a very healthy and happy summer, and that the lessons we have learned from the Navi, especially about the Koyach Gedusha of Tzadikim, should remain with us, because this Emuna in Tzadikim Amitim is equivalent to Emuna Nashem. The Zechus of this Emuna, the Tmimus, the sincerity, will be assured of seeing with our eyes the Yula Shlema, and the final chapter written in Jewish history, that of Moshiach Tzadkenu, coming to redeem us, to bring us back to Israel, Rebuilding the base of Mikdash and Hail Yamenu Omain Be Amen.